Hello, you're having tea with Alice. This conversation is one that I had in my living room with Jeremy Brule, who is a writer and producer and director based in Sydney and a good friend of mine from very early sketch comedy days around Sydney University and the University of New South Wales. I think we had a really interesting chat. It happened after I'd just come back from 30 days of the Melbourne Comedy Festival, so I'm maybe a little bit more rambling and a little less coherent than I would otherwise be. That said, thank you everyone who put up with the slight delay on the last episode, and as a form of recompense, I have a recording of my full show, Everyone's a Winner, in Melbourne, that I did with my phone. It's not great quality, but if you want to hear that, uh, just send me an email and I will send it to you, send you a link. So uh, the email to the email to email is alicerfraser at gmail.com. And if you want a copy of my show, you can have it. Uh, if you want to give me money, you can also do that, but I haven't figured out even a way to do that yet. So uh, let's just say it's for free. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I enjoyed having it. I'll see you next week. You're having tea with Alice. So, other than being trapped in my bathroom, Mm. which we don't need to explain to anyone. No, that's exactly what it sounds like. Exactly what it sounds like. So... Now that you've escaped from my bathroom and regained your life, would you like to introduce yourself to our listener? Uh, hi, I'm Jeremy Brill. I'm a writer, director, and I've been recently freed from Alice's bathroom. <laughs> and you're not just a writer, director, because a lot of people call themselves writers and directors that aren't actually doing the thing. You're quite a successful writer and director. Recently successful. Recently, well, <laughs> depends if we're talking about art or money. I guess. And whether those um, and whether those two things are comparable or at all tied to one another. But you just won. What was it that you won? We won. Uh, so so we entered this European festival called Vista. Um, it's like a European thing. It's like it was like the inaugural festival, and it was like eighty four uh, long form content uh, pieces that were all kind of battling against each other for like a month and getting voted, and somehow we got into the top ten despite me completely forgetting. Um, to, to campaign and then um, we end up getting first place from the judges and we won $70,000 $70,000 is a lot of money mm-hmm. that's at yep. least a sandwich in the CBD right yeah I could have truffle oil on it I hear that's really expensive <laughs> and uh, so you made this piece of long form content on spec because yeah. you wanted to for your own money was it at your own expense or did you it was, it was at it? our um, so, so Paul and I, Paul A, who, I, who I've done all my work with, we, we just put all the money we had at the time in. So it was like roughly about five grand each. Mm. And um, we really just made it. So uh, we hoped that the ABC would kind of like notice us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so we had this idea about um, doing, you know, four really famous superheroes, Superman, Batman, Aquaman and the Hulk, living in a share house in Ramwick and being affected by the movies made about them. And uh-huh. we just made that on, on spec, I guess, um, because we were just tired of, of uh, you know, waiting for things to happen. I mean, we'd already been making a lot of um, sketches and uh, short content before then, and then we thought, okay, let's kind of step it up a notch, let's do something really challenging. So this is the interesting thing about uh, art nowadays, or the model nowadays, yeah. is that a lot of stuff gets made at the artist's expense yep. in the hope that it'll get picked up, right? Because yep. no one 
no one will pick you up anymore and back you or develop you. Mm. People don't develop artists Fuck no one. Why, and why should they? I mean, you know, we, we were, you know, we, we pitched it and we, and we were like thinking, oh, well, maybe you could give us some money. I was like, well, why, why would they give us money? We haven't done anything. We haven't, well, we have nothing to prove. Other, other industries allow for apprenticeships or they train you up and they, mm. they will develop you. Like young lawyers get developed, young bankers get developed at the cost of the Yeah, industry. but with banking and, and all that, it's like, there, there's, I guess there's more certainties in an industry like that. There's, there's no real certainty in this, in this kind of stuff, I guess. Yeah, so you think that it's better for artists to develop themselves at their own cost and then be picked up? I mean, would it have been great if someone had given us money? Well, yeah, absolutely. But um, it certainly kind of separates people who just like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll give this a go. Yeah, one or two years, I'll just um, give it a go, like a degree or something. Where the people are like, well, there is nothing else that is going to make me happy besides this, and I'm going to put everything I have into this. Well, it self-selects then. It self-selects yeah. for people who are either yeah. who either have a high appetite for risk yeah. And are therefore probably crazy in other ways. <laughs> yeah, and, and no one gets into comedy because they're too well adjusted, right? Like or people do it who are passionate and artistic yeah. and are willing to live on nothing forever yeah. if, they, if that means they get the freedom to make their art. Yeah. And whether or not they make it, they'll do that. Yeah. That's unusual. Or you get people who are living on mummy and daddy hmm. and therefore have space and time yeah. and funding infinite funds to do yeah. that or you have enthusiastic amateurs who have day jobs and those are going to be extraordinary people I guess because they will have the energy to do exactly yeah, yeah. To, to come home after a full day and then just keep kind of doing it yeah and where would you put yourself in that class oh, in sorry. one of That's those classes of... or in, one of... in the Venn diagram cross section between those classes or in an entirely other class uh oof. yeah interesting I, I think um what were the first two again it was it was it was it was, it was, the, it was the one about just you know willing to live on nothing, nothing and all that and i think i kind high of... risk tolerance i don't, I don't okay so I, I i'm definitely not like a high risk kind of person generally i just I've done risky things, but I think this is the only area where I risk things. So I think I just can't picture myself doing anything else. Like, I, I think if I just got a real job, I'd be one of those people that would go into the office and shoot everyone. Um, and that, that'd probably be in the first week. So it's just better that I don't do that and I just keep making uh, this kind of stuff. I like that. That I, I would back that. But I don't think you... You're, you're a friendly person. I don't think you'd shoot everyone. Not Not everyone. No, no. Sure, I'd make some friends. <laughs> so when did you start? And you're you're um, you're a director, which is a very wishy-washy term until you actually need a director. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Um, and and it's honestly, I've I've, I've felt massively uncomfortable uh, calling myself that for a while, and I think I've only just feel like I can call myself that. Why now. do you think? Um, I think uh, I think it's I think it's about just knowing what the fuck you want. To be honest. Well, no one gives you a certificate, do they? Well, unless you, you study at like one of those legitimate places like afters or something. But I mean, what happened, you know, what happened with me was uh, about five years ago, um, after finishing a degree I just did not care about, was I, uh, I spent my life savings on camera gear. And so I just... So this is the second time, this Justice Lease yeah. production, you and Paul put in... All the money you had. You yeah, well, yeah. So that's the second time you put all the money you had into this. 
Sorry, kick talk. Actually, yeah, that's that's true. So, yeah, so, so five years ago, I spent everything I'd kind of saved up on camera gear. I didn't know how to use a camera. I, I just knew that's what I wanted to do, and I, it just kind of appealed to me. And so I just taught myself trial and error. There was, like, just a period of maybe, I don't know, like nine months to a year where it's like, okay, I'm just going to have – I'm just going to shoot something every day. And if any time someone asks me, hey, Jeremy, can you film my um, act or, or my wedding or whatever, I'm, just, I'm not going to say no. I'm just going to say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. And I just just kind of stuck by that really, really rigorously, and learned through my own mistakes, which thankfully not too many people were around to watch because it was really embarrassing. And um, a lot of just online resources. I mean, that's the really cool thing. Knowledge is is not uh, very expensive these days. In a lot of ways, you can just you can find it somewhere on the internet, and that's that's a really cool thing. So you're self-taught. Yeah, and also, and also by hanging around really talented um, people, you know, cinematographers, other directors, and um, just asking them um, as many questions as possible, but not getting kicked off set because I was being annoying and asking questions, that sort of thing. It's a fine line to walk, mm. I guess. Uh, all right. And are you happy? I am happy. Well, happy. Satisfied? So, um, I'm not, I, won't, I don't know if I'm ever completely satisfied but do you think you ever can or will be or do you think it's part of the nature of people who are driven to never be satisfied um, the trade-off you make for the ability to drive yourself is that you'll never be satisfied do you think that's true or do you think you'll there's a point at which you'll be like and i'm done um i can't imagine ever being done Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I can't um, I can't ever picture just thinking oh okay well don't need to make any more films now that I've, I've, I've got it covered mm. because uh, you know it's, it's just, all this stuff has had such a huge impact on me growing up and I think you know whatever happens I'll always be trying to chase those those amazing heroes of mine who've, who've, who've done all these amazing things um, you know you just you, you might reach the top of one ladder but then you're at the bottom rung of another ladder and uh, I don't ever, I can't, the, the idea of retiring um, from this is a very uh, strange and uh, unthinkable thing for me. Mm-hmm. So it's not something you want. Because no. I've spoken, maybe this is the thing that we're going to hone in on, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I've spoken to a lot of people whose goal in life is to retire at 35 or 40. And do what? Yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> Just pat yourself on the back for the next 60 years? Is... Yeah, and getting what you want at such an early age would seem to be immensely That just sounds really depressing right? to me. Yeah. Or, or maybe you should have thought, you know, I don't know, dreamed a little bigger. It, it just seems like, do you want that? It's, it just seems like a real anticlimax, I guess. I don't know. Well, I, just I mean, it, may, of a story. it would give you options to do charity work or something if that's what you want to do. But it mm. seems like the goal is not that. Goal is, well, maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that says more about businesses. me that I define myself entirely through my my work. Um, and is that a bad thing? Arguably, your work is realer than you are. Yeah, I, I guess it would definitely be a bad thing if if I hated it and I was defining myself through some you know bullshit suffering kind of thing. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, that that's not an easy question to answer, actually. You don't no. have to answer it immediately. What, why is it not an easy question to answer? Hmm. Is, is that devotion to your work a bad thing? It's not necessarily whether that is what... 
I guess the thing that is at the centre of this question is whether it's better to define yourself away from your work or define yourself by the products of your labour. Yeah. I would say my philosophy is you are what you do. So do stuff. Yeah. Other people would say that you exist independent of your impact and that you should, you know, work on yourself in this abstract way. I think because of the Buddhist thing, I don't have a a real strong belief in this idea of self as other than what you're doing and thinking and interacting and the impact that you're having. Yeah, I guess... um... I guess for me, it's uh, one of the things I've found, especially in the last five years, is it's very hard to separate who I am from the work. Like, it's all very, very personal to me. I can't really detach it. I can't say, well, that's my work and uh, this is who I am. Because that, it all kind of comes from, you know, deep parts of who I am. It's all really comes from that place. And uh, Well, the nature of, like, when you're working on something that you love and you get that flow state, right? That's the mythic the mythic flow the, state. The, the flow yeah, where you're absorbed in what you're doing. Yeah. Arguably, you are what you're doing at that point. I'm saying arguably too much. I'm tired. You sound pretty legal. Is that the legal? Legalistic, maybe? Yeah, legalistic. That's a good word. I'm tired. I just finished a month of the festival, so I'm pretty exhausted. Yeah. So if I, if I seem delirious, it's probably because I am. Did you feel exhausted during the festival, or was it just like one long adrenaline kind of uh, jolt? It was not... Adrenaline. I th- I don't know. It, I found it so joyful the whole yeah. experience. Really, a lot. Like, it, I worked very hard, and I felt like everything that I got, I worked for, which is always a nice feeling. You're not getting any free rides. You're not getting anything that you didn't work for. You know, there's a sort of an idea that you would want to be picked up and lifted on the shoulders of giants and displayed to the world on a platter without having yeah. to work for it. And that would be amazing and delightful. But it's like, I, I mean, to me, it's like I only really value or give a shit about something I feel, no, I've earned that. If I if something's just given to me, I feel a bit Well, this is the thing. It. You would have felt satisfied with this Justice Lease project even if you hadn't won this $70,000. Yes. Yes, I did. And is it more valuable to you now that you've won this money? Yeah, because now we... Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, sure, I, I, I loved the Justice Lease, but it's we still kind of need a little bit of that external. It's like, hey, you know what? Let's. I'd really like to watch more of that. I mean, that's that's still kind of important to us. We, we're not just making it for ourselves. We're making it for our audience, mm. whoever that may be. I found this one an interesting one at the festival particularly. There are, there's a small demographic of, of performers that seem to not really like their audience. They resent the necessity for an audience. That's weird. Everyone acknowledges that in order to be a comedian, you need an audience, right? Mm. Because otherwise you're a painter with no canvas. Yeah. And people should acknowledge, even if they don't really acknowledge, that the better the audience is, the better your work will be. Yeah. Because if you have an, a responsive audience that's on your wavelength... You make better comedy. That, I mean, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And you want to be the kind of artist that can draw on anything, that can use any material. And you, you want to be the kind of artist that can go out to a rural pub and make that into art. Yeah. And that's an achievement. But yeah. if you're doing a festival show, it's a kind of a, it's a showpiece, it's a showcase. And for that, 
it's a it's an apprenticeship or a, a journeyman piece or a masterwork your your festival show mm. so for that you want the best material possible and i was constantly shocked not shocked surprised disappointed confronted by a sort of a sense by some artists that they resented their audiences or they resented the need for an audience yeah or they resented their audience for not being on their wavelength or so on and so forth. Yeah, Th- Without actually that. trying to find the kind of people that would want to see their show. I mean, if you acknowledge that the audience is part of your show, then you have to think about the kind of people who like your show and actively seek them out. Because how would they know that you exist? Yeah. You can't just resent them for not finding you. It's like, how do you not know who I am? It's like, well, why should they... like? Or resent the people who do come who just aren't on your wavelength. Like, those are both the wrong reactions, I think. Yeah, it's just just, have, just maybe be a bit better. Have you tried being better? That it's not even about being good. It's a different skill getting an audience in from yeah. the art. And, and in the festival where there's so many shows, like there's uh, so many other shows around you, I mean, yeah, I, can, I, I mean, I can see why that would be frustrating. There are some great artists who are, don't get audiences in. And they suffer for it. But to pretend that that's not important, just because it's a different skill, the commercial element of it is still... Yeah. I'm getting lost in my own brain again. It's, I mean, there's just, it's just having any kind of gratitude is important for what you, you are able to have, even if you get, like, five people and be grateful yeah. That they're there and don't don't put your shit onto them and, and wish that it was like five hundred instead of that many people. Yeah. They're there and you can still make a connection with them. You can still make their night amazing. Yeah. I never got the people who were like, Oh well if it's less than this I'll just cancel the show. I think you still should do the show. Yeah. It's just a different show. It is a different show. I, I don't know what I think about uh comps and cancelling. My first festival I did four nights, and because I did four nights, I decided I was not going to do any comps. Yeah. I wasn't going to pay for the room. I was just going to bring people in who were going to pay for the show. Yeah. And that was... I did that, and that was a good run. This year was my first full run at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. It's my first time in the bear pit. Wait, so what, what is the bear pit? The bear pit is the nature of the festival where it's all a little bit cutthroat. And survival That's a of very the, evocative word. I like it. The, the survival of the fittest, and by mm. the fittest, I don't necessarily mean the best. I mean the most commercially viable, mm. the most suited to that particular oxygen carbon mix. Like this is, if you can breathe in that atmosphere, then you win. Mm-hmm. So for that, um, if I had six pre-sales. My idea was that I was going to make their night the best possible night. And so I would drop the price of tickets mm-hmm. three hours before the show and bring other people in on discounted tickets in order to make those full payers have the best experience possible. Yeah. Not because I'm interested in cultivating people who want cheap art, because I'm not. Those mm. are not. That is not the audience that I want to cultivate. Yeah. But I do want to cultivate those six people who bought tickets, and if at full price. And if in order to do that, I need to ring in an audience at fifteen dollar tickets, 
to give them the feeling of being out at night. Like, I don't want them to be embarrassed that they bought their date. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I'm sorry, it was a shitty show. Like, you don't want <laughs> you don't want people apologising for coming to see you. You want them to walk out thinking that was amazing. I'm going to tell all my friends. Yeah. And, you know, their friends will ideally be full fee-paying citizens as well. There's an argument against that, though, right? That people should pay for art and they should pay what it's worth. But what is it worth? It's worth what they'll pay for it, right? And you yeah. don't want to be chipping away at that. I don't really know what I think. Both of those approaches worked for me, but they were slightly different situations, different circumstances. It's yeah, it's it's, it's always been like a really interesting thing around, uh, you know, getting paid for this kind of stuff. It's like I, I knew for a while that I almost felt a little bit guilty. It's like so you want to give me money to do to do this amazing. Th- because I would pay to do this. Yeah. I, would, I could lose money for a bit and still and do this and be happy if I could just somehow not starve. But and... that's your competitive advantage, <laughs> right? That's your um, camel hump Yeah. in the desert. And it, You uh... are built to take more pain in pursuit of this, which is not necessarily a good thing it's also a self-worth thing as as well you know self-worth as an artist you know when you, you don't when think you, f- you value yourself I, I don't think in the past that i valued myself as much as i should have and that's also why i had that attitude do you think that's partly because you're not qualified do you have imposter syndrome yes and i'm i'm happy well not happy but i'm, I'm i was like relieved to find out you know how many people have that kind of you know that they're going to be taken away by the fraud police and doing some time in Azkaban for it. I don't know why Azkaban. I don't know why this has to turn to a Harry Potter thing. Because your art is magic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no, I'd massively have that, you know. Uh, And, uh, you know, I think think it it takes a while to to, to get over that. And uh, I mean, have you ever had that? Oh, yeah. Before Mm. I went into Cambridge, I had dreams in the weeks coming up to it that I showed up and they were like, Alice Fraser, no, 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 not you. I felt that a lot. When I was a lawyer, I felt like that because yeah. I didn't like it and I had never worked very hard at it. And yet people had kept saying that I'd be good at it. As a comedian, I have it sometimes because yeah. I, not really, though. It's one of the few things that I really don't. That and running because I'm not naturally good at them. So there's no element by which I've been allowed to do them because of my parents or because of the way I look or because of my upbringing or because of my education. There's no permission there. No. Everything I had for running is was stuff I trained for with a body that's not built for running and I got it, right? And yeah. then likewise with comedy, I'm not naturally funny. Every... Every cent I make doing comedy is something I worked incredibly hard That's to get. That's interesting. So you, you think you're not naturally funny. Yeah. What does that mean? I'm quick, I guess. But I'm not... When did this become an interview of me? I'm just really curious about that. It's, it's a very interesting thing for me. If I have a conversation, except with very, very particular people, yeah. I default to having... A conversation about ideas I find interesting. Yeah. Like this podcast is mm. kind of based around that because that's what I do. That's what I like. Those are the conversations I end up having. Of course. Some people who I talk to I have witty banter with. 
and they make me feel funny. Mm. But I don't have that with everyone. The majority of conversations I have, which are actually a bit in depth, are interesting conversations. And you've never felt that need to be like a class clown or, or anything? Um, I sometimes feel the need to have the last word. <laughs> uh, but that's not quite the same. I feel the need to persuade people of things that I believe. Yeah. Uh, which is, I guess, a form of arrogance. Not necessarily that I'm right, but that I want them to hear what I have to say. Okay, this is definitely not class clown then. That's not it. No, yeah. I mean, I think that the comedy is the most effective way to do that. Yeah. Comedy is the most effective way to make someone actually listen and yeah. not roll their eyes and no tune out. No one wants to be lectured. Yeah. So I, that's what that for me. That's what comedy is. Like for like like finding a way to feed the like four year old kid the vegetables by covering it in like some colourful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Here comes the airplane. But I just like the exercise of it. I like the intellectual exercise of figuring out how you make someone who is not funny funny. Mm. Interesting. Me, I'm not funny. How do I make myself funny? Interesting. I, yeah, I, I, I felt... That's why I'm um, wearing this giant clown wig. It's hilarious. Thank it's you. a little distracting. <laughs> I want to honk your big red nose. Um, yeah, that, that, that's interesting. I, I, I've kind of felt that uh, the, the need to be funny from like a very young um, age um, like, like as a reaction to kind of tension um, in my family. Oh, tension, yes. Yeah, you, it's, it's like that release valve. Um, yeah, I use that a lot. The emergency exit. I wouldn't call that being funny, though. I think of that as being non-confrontational. That, like, I have to fix it. Right. And I use comedy to that purpose. Yeah. But I'm not laughing. Like, I'm using that. I'm making other people laugh to serve my need for things not to be uncomfortable, for my need to have not people people (laughs) around me not being angry. Even if they're not angry at me, I feel the need to make them not angry. So you 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 were, you were just more I think more aware um, of what you were doing than when I was doing it. Whereas like oh, I'm just being funny. Why are you being funny, Jeremy? I don't know. I'm just making a joke. Yeah. Uh, whereas I'm and I was just kind of doing it in- instinctively. But it was you know now that I reflect on it, it's like yeah, there was like a lot of tension and uh, yeah, yeah. I needed to you know learn how to do that in a quick hurry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and and that can. I guess you, you were kind of brought up more in a background where you you can understand more what you're doing. I mean, you you, you did meditation from like a young age, right? And Always brought up in Buddhist, Buddhism. Yeah. But you're a meditator now, which is... Now, very, very recently, um, as of December last year, I spent... And I spent Easter in uh, the Vipassana Silence and, uh, and all that. But um, I've, I've only recently been granted this kind of understanding. Mm. And, you know, it's, 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 it's very interesting There's no to being granted back. in meditation. That's another thing, I guess, that I quite like about it. You don't get given anything. I just got schooled. Yeah. You just, you just do it. Yeah. You do it all yourself. Anything you get from meditation, you got. Yeah. The, I remember in the, in the course they said it was... Uh, the passion is kind of like uh, performing brain surgery on yourself. Mm. I think, I, I think that's, that's pretty fair. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, it, it, all, all of that kind of made me re- realize, you know, you know, my motivations behind being funny and, and, and uh, I equated that all, you know, being funny with love and, and, and being loved and, and making people feel better and all that. So I think uh, being funny is something that comes very naturally to, to me because it's something that, that's helped me survive, I guess. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's my mechanism. That's your mechanism as it is. Wow, we really just got to the heart of it, didn't we? 
It's what I like doing. Should we talk about the weather for five minutes? No, you're having Irish breakfast. It's an Mm. interesting one because I don't like to think of myself as being cliched. I I don't define myself by a group. Mm. generally I define myself more as an outsider which is its own kind of egotism (laughs) but I was sitting on a bench during the comedy festival and I won't say their names because I haven't asked them for permission Mm. and I was talking about the fact that my mum is quite sick sick now and I just found out and I was upset about it Uh, and of the six comedians on and around that bench four had lost their mother at the age of five or ten or the other one was 12 and one of them was 19 when he lost his mother. Yeah. And that's a coincidence, right? Entirely. (laughs) Entirely coincidental. Mm. I'm sure that we all feel the need to engineer some kind of love or approval. For me, it's almost the other side of the equation. Wait a second, Alice, are you saying that these people who are really happy on the outside are somehow sad on the inside? <laughs> You're such a crazy person. No, I think for me, the, <sighs> the interaction that I want my audience to have is being loved and feeling part of something. It's not... It is partly that I want to be on the other side of the equation, that I want them to love me, yeah. and I want them to embrace me with their approval. But I think it's it's like the Alcoholics Anonymous guy who becomes a sponsor. Yeah. And then if he has no one to sponsor, he relapses because he needs to be part of that equation on one side or the other. He needs to be the rescuer or the victim. But he can't get out of that loop. Yeah. For me, I think I do play the mother role a little bit on stage. Yeah especially if I'm doing crowd work to set up something, especially if I'm bringing people in, it's, it's very much about making people feel part of what I'm saying, like bringing them in. You do everything but cook for them. Sometimes I cook for them. <laughs> um, there was one night where I gave everyone uh, some food. But, yeah, so that's an interesting one. So, yeah, actually, that's really interesting. That, that, what you've just kind of been talking about makes me think of two things. The idea of, of how powerful being vulnerable is in making a connection with someone. And, and also that um, the thing I, I really like to think about, I haven't come up with any uh, answers or anything, but it's, it's the idea of the line between, um, you know, the tragic and funny. Mm. That's just something that's so interesting to me. And I, I always, like, respond, I think, the best to, you know, those films where it, it can just kind of turn on a dime. Mm. From 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 tragic to funny and vice versa. Yeah, that's that's the shit that really stays with me. So you're very influenced by film film comedy rather than live comedy. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I mean, there there are some comedians I, I love and all of that, but I'm definitely a, a, a movie person. Mm. Um, I, I live and breathe cinema. That's the stuff that's etched in my brain, and and theater as well. I mean, I really love theater. But there's something so beautiful to me about film because film is permanent. And no matter what happens to you in your life or whatever you go through, the film is always going to be there and it's always going to be there for you and you can always kind of revisit that moment. Mm. And there's just something really beautiful about that. Is that a fear of loss? Uh, I'd say it's more of a fear of change. Lucky I, you know, that whole the passionate thing is about uh, learning to live with the idea that everything's impermanent, mm. uh, which is, is what theatre is. There is something happens in theatre and it's 
you're never going to have that exact moment again. It's completely ephemeral. That's one of the yeah. great things about... It's the best thing, the worst thing about theatre. Yeah. Because have you ever... I'm, I'm sure you have this, where you have the most amazing night and you're like, why the fuck couldn't all these other people just be there for one night? Why did they have to go on the other night when I lost my shit or, 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 or something like that? For me, the second last night of my Melbourne run was that. That was just yeah. the perfect... I just hit everything. There was one, run, one night earlier in the run where I had the perfect audience. Oh. They laughed at everything. The show went over by about 10 minutes because they laughed at everything. Even the jokes I write for myself that never get laughed. That's they, great. They laughed at everything. And then the second last night was that. But I wish someone had filmed that second last night. Yeah. Because that was, I think, my best performance. It's interesting. You know, I've, I've filmed a lot of shows and it's, it's never great, is it? You, you know, the, the camera never picks up on what it's really like to be in there. It doesn't matter how many angles you cover it from, that energy in the room can never be uh, the feel of being in the room. No matter how many cameras you have placed, you'll, you'll never quite get that. Yeah. And that's something that's beautiful, I think. Mm. And, and then it makes me realise when, when we see like those live acts filmed and you think they're the funniest thing you've ever seen, then you start to think, well, imagine what it would have been like to actually have been in that room, how much more amazing it would have been then. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, but it's worth filming it sometimes, I think. Oh, yeah. You know, the jokes will, will transcend whatever limitation. But, uh, yeah. I, wanna, I think I want to film this show. I'm happy with it, and I don't like the idea of just killing it. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to just throw it away. Have I mean, it's just great to be able to look back on it, I guess. Well, I'm thinking about Edinburgh and stuff, but I don't think I'll go to Edinburgh because I have the funding. Um, hmm. When I say funding, I say funding as though there were grants being given out to go to Edinburgh, but <laughs> I haven't got the cash money to... Well, I, I have a camera. I can film your show. Ah. I'll just do that. I'm not even recording this. That was all I wanted. <laughs> This conversation. You lied to me. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah. But uh, soon you'll be out of my price range. You'll be so famous. You'll just be charging seventy thousand dollars for everything. <laughs> right now you know what you're worth. I don't even like art. I'm just doing it for the money. I want a bigger boat. <laughs> Why are you fighting Jaws? Yeah. I'm just gonna sail away. I'm, I'm just. I just want my own island. That's. Come on, that was good. Go. The Jaws line. I like Jaws. It's been a while since I've heard a Jaws joke. Mm. I never have actually watched Jaws, you know. I sat through you it once. You are such an imposter. No, I've sat through it once, but yeah. I covered my eyes the whole time. <laughs> so it was like a really intense radio show. Yeah, I was like six or something. Every oh, yeah. time I looked, there was someone being thrashed to death in the water. And so oh, yeah. I be- oh, yeah, Jaws, the famous podcast by uh, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's a good soundtrack. <laughs> Whatever you want to have some unwarranted angst. Yeah. Just turn it on in the bedroom to lighten the mood. Maybe just like drive yeah. around George yeah. Street, like with the windows down, just blurring Jaws music. Wear a mohawk and play Jaws music as your personal like soundtrack. Show I'm just trying to combine shark and mohawk. It didn't work. Showhawk? No, that doesn't work. But mohawk? Mohawk. 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 Look, we're gonna cut this. I think what we're saying is comedy's a process and you can't just get <laughs> we're it in learning. one. We're like, all learning. Like all the, yeah. Oh, man. Is there anything you wanted to talk about before we wrap it up? Um, anything that you like or don't like about the world that you think needs to be said? 
anything that I don't like about the world. Or that you do like. I have like, I have, I have big kind of, it's like a big tangent that has nothing to do. That, that is exactly what I want. How's your Irish breakfast? My Irish breakfast is fantastic. It tastes like Irish. And do the rest in an Irish accent. No, if you're like, no I'm not going to do please that. Don't. That's that's a stupid thing. Uh, I, I was, uh, yeah, I... I saw this exhibition, like a photo exhibition many years ago, and, and it kind of really stuck with me. It was something called Love Me, and it was about the beauty industry. Mm. And it's just the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. In particular, there were like two photos mm. that really stood out for me. One of them was this, um, it was like a, a tray with like a sort of conveyor belt in the background, and it was just like rows of um, fake breasts, yeah. like fucking cookies, um, just being there, just... On the, on the tray, mass produced, and and then the other was, uh, I think it was like a nine year old beauty queen in the Midwest, you know, painfully skinny with a tiara and make and have and she had the most hollow, awful smile I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and yeah, that that that, that, that that's just kind of something that that horrifies me. This this um, what do you think that is, and why does it horrify? Mass produced beauty, the idea that beauty isn't subjective anymore. Mm-hmm. That horrifies me. Yes. Yeah, I think we have a lack of. Because I'm obsessed with words, I think it's a terminology issue. Yeah. Because there's something that is incredibly appealing about things that are raw and damaged, or, yeah. you know, people who have those kind of cool wrinkles around their eyes, or people who have yeah. scars, or who look strange in a particular way and there's that's very appealing and then you have this idea of the kind of the youthful beauty that fresh kind of that's another kind of appealing yeah we call both of those things beauty and we call one of those things beauty a lot more than we call the other one yes and we fight against the older type of beauty a lot of people desperately trying to cling on to that yeah, but I, yeah. Um, but I, I think it's more that idea of, of objectivity. I think everyone has friends that do this, and it really shits me where they go, Oh, what would you give her out of 10? Or yeah. something like that. And I fucking hate You're it. You're on what axis? <laughs> it's just like. Yeah, oh, I think I hate it. the out of 10 is. It's a. This is the fun thing about the, the gay marriage slippery slope argument. I do a joke about it in my show. Yeah. Because you're only measuring along one axis. And this is one of the flaws of a lot of human logic and science and everything, is that you're measuring the effect along only one axis. Yeah. So this uh, scale out of 10 is presumably whether you would bone her or not. Yeah, is, is, like, is, it, is the line just supposed to be your penis? Is that the... I don't yeah, know. is it... What, 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 uh, what angle yeah. is your erection at? Rather than... You know, other axes of like, well, how much would you like to watch a movie with her? Or how much would you like to just give her a hug or smell her hair or have a conversation with? Or, you know, how much does she remind you of a friend of yours? Or those are all part of people's appeal. Or how much do you want, do you like the smile? Or how much do you have that weird visceral chemical attraction? Or, yeah. And the same thing with this, the gay marriage slippery slope of like, well, it's a slippery, if it's a slippery slope, they say it's a slippery slope from man-man marriage to dog-man marriage. There's also a slippery slope from man-man marriage to other forms of equality. Like, that's also 
a slippery slope, yeah. right? I don't actually think the man-man marriage, dog-man marriage is the correct axis. I, 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 don't yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think those two things are actually connected. Yeah, in you're, way. you're not a stupid person. So I'm not you, a you stupid wouldn't. person. Yeah. But my point being that people tend to choose an axis along which to measure something when things are so multifaceted yeah. that it's sort of stupid. It makes life simpler, yeah. and that's a good thing in some ways. Mm. But also... You know, why are we not thinking or at least factoring in some of the other things? You know, what would you give her out of ten on five different <laughs> spectrums, maybe? Yeah. It's yeah, I, I um it, it it angers me so much I can't even quite hit exactly why it does. Yeah. It's, but it's it's just something that I find increasingly horrifying about the world so what's your response when someone says what would you give her out of 10 I just shudder yeah and I, I'm, not, I'm not a very um, ranty well 10 kind of... implies that there is one one perfect person yeah or that there is one stream of perfect person yeah that, that, that there's, there's yeah there, there's a 1 and a 10 it's like yeah there, there is that that perfection to strive for and again it's not yeah, like it's 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 a subjective thing. It's it's not is it what is your out of chance? Like is it's it's does she do it for you or not? I mean, how do you feel about that person? It's Yeah. Mm. Do you want to get to know her more? How much do you want to get to know her out of ten? <laughs> right? Use complete integers, yeah. Um oh. Sorry, I don't make math jokes very often. It's pronounced maths. Okay. You American fool. You're so learned. No, you're so influenced by film. This was a rambling and incoherent conversation on my end, and I apologize for that. And Would I do it again? Yes, in a heartbeat. Well, then I will have you back again one day when I've actually had some sleep. And Oh, you're going to take up sleep? Oh, oh gross. Yeah, Out of ten, yeah. that's like a three. Yeah. Uh, not saved by your eyelashes, <laughs> which are very long. You should see them. 1.3 centimetres of <laughs> Wow. Even in, and it's cold weather, by the way, and she's still... Yeah. still rocking some... Eye- I had my eyelashes uh, dyed out of vanity for the festival, and uh, they measured them when they dyed them. Apparently <laughs> I have 13 millimetre eyelashes. That's amazing. That that's like pterodactyl. That's, that's amazing. It has nothing to do with anything, I don't think. Eyelash length, right? I am, I'm not an eyelash scientist. I, I, mean, I, I, I couldn't I, tell I, you. I'm remiss at getting my eyelashes... Rimmed? Is that something people do? I've never heard of that. I would. Just, that's, I don't think it's that's something weird. people are meant to I'd, do. I think that'd be awful. But we trim other body hair. Mm. Eyelash length is is associated with beauty, and for the rest of hair length, sometimes. But for the rest of the body, the shorter the hair, the better. Hmm. Is that eyelashes. I, I I don't know. I'm definitely the wrong person. Arbitrarily style. designation. Although men now beard length is good or not good. I don't. I've got a in-between beard. That's the correct I, thing. I think that is the correct thing at the am, moment. Am I correct? You are. Okay, correct. I take back everything I said about the beauty industry. It's fantastic. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> I think that's all we need to talk about. 